1: Well, I live to breathe another week, boys. I just always expect the shoe to drop. Hey, Jimmy, thanks. It was fun. Uh, You can become a listener now. Uh, (laughs) I've stopped taking Warren's calls, Kevin. I'm going, it can't be good. It can't be good. (laughs) Of course, we're joined uh, on Inside Curling. Here we are each and every week by the World Curling Hall of Famers, Warren Hansen and the great Kevin Martin. And uh, this week, no exception, uh, the Hearing Life, uh, challenge uh, up in Grand Prairie is done, uh, and a great victory uh, by only a three-man team in the end. I think everyone knows that by now. Nicodine's team takes it home, and Nick went down with a very worrisome knee injury. I say that because I saw them working on it, and the uh, you know in behind the sheet. And when he was down, they were sort of manipulating his knee, Kevin. They made one little move, and he collapsed like he'd been shot. You know, so. We understand that MRI is happening today. We've got Oscar Erickson and Rasmus Varona are going to come on. A bunch of other things we're going to look at as well. You're going to break that down for us, Kev. Uh, also, the World Mixed Curling Championship was completed this past weekend in Aberdeen, Scotland. And uh, maybe no surprises there, but uh, we'll tease you a little bit and get the results on that. Big women's event this week in Calgary, the Autumn Gold, and another event, the Pan-Continental Cup, will be starting in Calgary this week. We're going to take a look at those events. Hot Rock Topics. We chatted a bit last week about the curling dues dispute going on in the U.S. and the situation with the USA Curling uh, CEO. The annual USA Curling Members Forum was held last Friday, and uh, you're going to take a look at that, Warren, and let us know. A five-hour deal, Warren, was it? Summit?
2: (laughs) Yeah, five-hour, five-plus. Yes, it was.
1: (laughs) Uh, And I understand you listened to the whole thing. I did. Just incredible. (laughs) Uh, It
2: was pretty (laughs) painful. I did.
1: We got an email, our mailbag segment from uh, Uli, I think is the way you pronounce that, in Switzerland. Wondering about the conversation that takes place on the ice at a major curling event when you see the guys strategizing. So we're going to talk about that. We really appreciate all our sponsors that have been on board with us for the whole duration of Inside Curling. And they're back again this year and we'd like to thank them. Sports Interaction, who brings you what is happening around the curling world. Nestle Boost, the sponsor of Mailbag. Kyle Attracted, the sponsor of Hot Rock Topics. And Goldline, who brings you In the House, which we have today. So, Kevin, before we start, we were talking off air, and uh, I think Warren and I heard you right when you were sliding in your kitchen this morning practicing with your opposite (laughs) hand (laughs) what the hell what are you doing martin okay can you just relax okay get on the couch when you get home okay
0: yeah well i was trying to figure it out how uh how uh yeah we're gonna talk about that a little later it it, (laughs) it, it didn't it didn't go well okay good We, we will we will talk about
1: that so here we go what's happening around the curling world brought to you by sports interaction You want to bet? You can do it at Sports Interaction Canada Sportsbook. you got to be 19-year-olds to play, and you must be a resident of Ontario, and please play responsibly. The second Pinty's Grand Slam event of the year, the Hearing Life Tour Challenge finished this past weekend in Grand Prairie. Rachel Homan, uh, congratulations to her and her team came through, and as mentioned earlier, Nick won the men's division with only uh, three guys. The Tour Challenge also features a Tier 2 event, that we had talked about last week during the event, and there were two winners, and they'll get to play in the Canadian Open starting on January 10th in Camrose. American Corey Dropkin was victorious on the men's side, and the women's division was Chansey Grandy of Vancouver won the day. Okay, Kev, you're on. Break it all down for us.
0: Well, you know what? It's just, I think it's a wonderful event. Um, The players love it. 64 teams, um... It was funny. We go to check into the hotel. Every hotel or pretty much every hotel in Grand Prairie, and there are a lot. Grand Prairie is a city with uh, many dozens and dozens and dozens of hotels, all sold out. So it was a great event for the city. Um, Terrific attendance on the weekend. Um, Very positive. 64 teams. And uh, yeah, it's Clancy. Clancy Grandi out of Vancouver won and and Corey Dropkin out of the States won on the Tier 2 side. Interesting in the quarterfinal on the women's tier one side, um Terranzoni getting getting beat by uh by uh Rastas Vrana's sister, Isabella Rana um Rano in the quarters, and uh Vrano played amazing and, and beat them up. I'll just see if I can find the score. It was it was quite remarkable. Nine to two, Jimmy, nine to two. Against Terranzoni, and of course, that's who I thought was going to win the event, so there went that. But ended up, in the end, uh, Anderson and Holman playing each other in the final. We know, we've talked quite a bit about Holman's team, and can they get the chemistry together? Can they get with Tracy and, and, and Rachel sweeping and throwing the last rocks and getting comfortable? And It seems to me that that's happening. It seems to me that the team is coming around. They're looking more comfortable all the time. It's just going to be kind of a, I think, going forward of Rachel being able to let Tracy skip a little more and a little more as they go forward because she's the one holding the broom. And then when it comes to Rachel throwing her last one, of course, she has to pick what she wants. Of course, she's got to make it. But I think that's kind of something you still need to work on a bit. But boy, they played played fantastic. And then, of course, on the men's side, um, the big game was that uh, semifinal uh, Gushu against Nicodine, and, and uh, just unfortunate, Nick hurt uh, hurt his knee. Going to throw his second shot, he threw the first draw to the button. It, you throw draws to the button to decide who has last rocks. If you cover the, the pinhole with your first one, uh, then you go back and you throw another one without sweeping. That's how it works. And Nick went to throw, and he covered. Okay, good. So now he goes down to throw the next one without any sweeping, and when he was trying to get, or I guess getting down into the hack, uh, about that time, something gave. And, uh, and then we, you know, we showed, obviously, on, on broadcast, tons of video of it. And uh, it looked awfully painful. Uh, and uh, you mentioned just a couple of minutes ago that Nick's in for the MRI today. So I'd like to wish uh, Nick all the very best today. Hopefully get some, some good news and we'll get him back on the ice as soon as possible. But Jim, the Tour Challenge, the uh, Hearing Life Tour Challenge, huge success in grand prairie congratulations to the organizing committee and to the grand slam of curling because it, it went off really well right warren you've always uh, kind of been outspoken about the other teams outside of
1: canada catching up to us over the years we're well aware of that now there's so many great teams around the world and uh we we you know everyone's always concerned you know what's happening to canada here you know uh, however the women's final warren were uh, two canadian teams And I got to admit, I was like, there we go, good. It kind of bugs me when the other teams get in there outside again. (laughs) What's your breakdown of the whole weekend, Warren, and the whole week?
2: Well, just uh, I'll make a couple of quick comments. Again, just that Adin team, they are amazing. And it looks like from lead to skip, they're interchangeable. Anyone can play any position. When the lead can come up and throw a pretty delicate takeout for three uh, unexpectedly, Uh, and nobody seems to even uh, blink an eye, they, they are pretty amazing. I look at the men's side, and I think a couple of Canadian teams, we've talked about Ryan and the Three Tuckers, uh, they are streaming along. They did well again along with Cruthers, So I think those two teams are going to be ones to contend with. I, I look at going forward, and again, it's the Canadian system. We've got Guy and Botcher in Alberta, Cruthers and Dunstone in Manitoba, and going into a briar as we sit today, only two of those teams are going to be able to make it unless they do come up with a system that's going to allow to do so. So again, I think those four teams, along with Gushu, are probably right now the five best in, in Canada, and it would be a shame to not have all five of them in the Canadian championship. Einerson again, not sure what's going on with him. They play so very well and then all of a sudden seem to stumble or just, it just all, all of a sudden seem to not be there. So I'm not sure what that's all about, but they still are a really good team. I'd like to uh, direct to Kevin. I'm looking in as him at the Holman team, and Rachel did uh, outstanding this past weekend. And I'm still wondering if that's the the right order for that team. I'm wondering if uh, Rachel should be skipping. I don't know. Something seems to be uncomfortable for them, even though they did so well. What, what do you think, Kevin? you think that's the right order for them? Oh, boy. Rachel's awfully good. <laughs> She's an awfully good curler. Trace, they, they've got a
0: team of all-stars. Sarah Wilkes, fantastic third. Emma Miskew, one of the best thirds um, ever. at Tracy Fleury, she was number one ranked. So I, I don't know, Warren, I don't know. Having Sarah and Emma at the front end makes a lot of sense to me. They're both extremely strong sweepers, all four good curlers. You talked about a Dean's team being able to kind of switch around and, and be good. They, they sort of had the same thing going, uh, all four are tremendous curlers. So uh, the communication part and the comfortable part, I agree with you. I think it's getting better. Um, no lack of effort though. I'll tell you what, I went to uh, went to the store Uh, Monday morning. So I got, got home late Sunday night. I go into the store Monday morning. I'm walking across the parking lot. Who do I see coming into practice? Rachel Holman. I said, Rachel, you, you off, just, <laughs> you just, that's what I said. Her and Tyler Tardy are going to practice. I go, guys, like uh, you just got off the ice. But anyway, that's the dedication. You know, that's what dedication it, it takes. And I just couldn't believe it. Wow. Not even one day off. I'm like, no wonder you're so good. So I don't know, Warren. I think that team's going to win I don't think there's any way you can stop them from winning, but the comfort part, I agree with you. I don't think it's perfect yet, but it's certainly better than it was. Yeah, there just seems to be no secret, right, when you're a peak performing team, uh,
1: you know, about how you play so well. It's like, well, we work hard. <laughs> you know? We 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 do it longer and, and more often than anybody else. You know, we throw way more rocks. Hey, uh, Hanson, you guys made some predictions uh, over the weekend. Who's going to make the final? I think you're leading from the event in North Bay. I am actually really pulling for you, Warren, to kick Kevin's ass, so... <laughs> Tell us what happened.
2: Well, I'm looking. I picked Eden and Schwaller, and I picked Terrazoni and Hasselberg. So, didn't do too well in on that one. Kevin, I think you picked Gushu, Eden, and Gim and Homan, did you not? I picked uh, Terrazoni,
0: who who lost in the quarters. I picked Kim. I liked, I liked Gim too. Remember, I was having trouble picking. Uh, and they played each other in the quarters, so somebody had to win. And it was a great game, by the way. And then I picked uh, Gushu, uh, Gushu and, uh, and Nick. And the reason being, they're playing each other in the semi. Not taking anything away from Matt Dunstone because they played fantastic. But uh, both Guju and Nicodine were undefeated in the round robin. Uh, They had a draw for Hammer, which I talked about before. And no matter who won, they had Hammer in the final. And so hard to take the Hammer away. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, um, Team Adina ended up winning that semi. And they just they, they just played so good in that final. They kept the game close, kept control of the hammer, and uh, just made that beautiful. Well, the first shot, the double. It was the thirds last stone, but Oscar threw it because Rasmus had thrown one of Christopher's rocks. So Oscar, <laughs> Jimmy, you keeping track of that. So Oscar on his, <laughs> Oscar on his. I am. Yeah. Just, his yeah. first one, which was the thirds last one, he made a double and rolled dead buried. And then the big, the big miss sweep, and this is where it's a new team, and you can see it. The communication, the sweepers on on Matt Dunstone's outturn freeze were T-line. God, line's good, T line, but the Rock was in front of the T. The sweepers were bang on. Everybody was bang on, other than the communication part to clean it all up. And sure enough, the rock comes into the house with perfect T-line weight, just what the sweepers said, and it just bounced off an inch. And then Oscar with his last one skips first comes around, makes that little roll. When Rasmus jumps on the outside of the stone, has it carve in there, makes the perfect roll, and they pick up the big three points. And that, and that was the game. So you know what? It, it's interesting, um, but boy, that that semifinal between Adin and Gushu was was really the, the pivotal part of the uh, tour challenge. That's a long way to take us downtown, <laughs> Kevin, to
1: tell us you lost to Warren in your predictions. I thought, I thought if I talked long enough, you'd forget what the question was.
2: <laughs> We tied in the men's, but didn't you pick Holman in the uh, women's?
0: Uh, I did early on, but remember we had to pick the second time, and I picked uh, I picked Sylvana and uh, and Unjun.
2: Oh, so we it was a push. We both uh, it was a push. We both had a Excuse me. (laughs) Okay, how come no one asked
1: me about my predictions? You used to, you guys. Yeah, next time. Thanks. (laughs) Don't be confused about our next topic when I talked about the world mixed curling. It's not the doubles. Uh, this took place in Aberdeen, Scotland this past weekend. Jean-Michel Menard from Quebec. I remember him. Briar champion, of course. Represented Canada, and they took the title, uh, which is a third straight one for Canada. This event has not been around that long, but we're going to get your take on it, boys. Uh, playing with Jean-Michel was third. Marie-France LaRouche. Second, Ian Boullieu. And lead, Annie LeMay. Warren, you're well aware of all this stuff, Uh What do you think about the event, Warren? How long has it been around, and uh, what do you take away from the week?
2: Well, first, congratulations to Jean-Michel Menard, one of our great players over the years. He's uh, won the mix before in 2001. Of course, he won the briar in 2006 and got a silver at the Men's World's. So he's a great player. This event has only been around since 2015, and uh, this is the third consecutive time that Canada's actually won it. There wasn't an event in 20 and 21, but in 18, 19, and 22, Canada's the champions. It's a pretty decorated team that he had with them as well. Many people will remember Marie-France LaRouche played in the Scotties many times, along with Annie LeMay, who was playing lead in that team, was part of Marie-France's team. They actually won a... a silver medal in the Scotties in 2006, I believe that event was played in Red Deer by my memory. So collectively, all four net people on that team had played in the th- total of 30 Canadian championships. The mixed championship is an interesting one, not to be confused, as you say, with mixed doubles. Mixed curling with four people, two men, two women, is kind of a Canadian thing. A competition that's been played in Canada. Going back to 1965, it's existed in Scotland and the USA, but not so much in other countries. Particularly in Europe, they've always played what I call mixed up curling. Could be three men and a woman, three women and a man, or any combination you can think of. But if we look at the Canadian history of this, prior to having a Canadian mixed curling championship, men and women were never on the same sheet of curling ice or practically in the same building at the same time. It was very divided it was two separate organizations. The old Canadian Curling Association was the men, and the Canadian Ladies Association was the women. And that wasn't amalgamated until 1990. So when the Canadian Mixed Championship started in 1965, it was the first time men and women actually got on the ice together. It kind of grew in Canada, did in the U.S. as well, and became very much a Canadian thing. Back in my time, there wasn't a lot to play in. And so if you lost in the early rounds of playdowns to go to the briar, as did some of the better women in your area, you usually end up going into the mixed championship. So a lot of the better players actually ended up at the Canadian championship and were winners. People like Rick Lang, Rick Folk, played in the mix many times. Rick won it once, uh, Lang. Rick Folk won it twice. Uh, I actually played in the event back uh, in the 70s, and uh, the year we went, were in it, Barry Fry skipped the Manitoba team. He came second uh, with Ron Anton as our skip. We were second, and Sam Richardson was third. So it attracted a lot of the better players. But today... Things have changed with the Olympics, the Grand Slam, and the evolution of mixed doubles. Mixed curling with four people has kind of taken a little bit of a, a step back, and it's not in the same limelight it once was. But it's still uh, a lot of fun, and in Canada, still a lot of people play it. Can- Kevin, did you ever play mixed? Well, we had a choice, Sean and I, uh, Sean was a
0: really good curler. That's where we met actually was, uh, at the college, uh, provincials provincials long, long time ago. So we did go in mixed one time and we thought marriage would be better.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that, that was it. No. Uh, I think, I think it was a really good decision. We've played in a couple of mixed bond spiels over the years. As long as uh, if I'm skipping, then Sean has got to be lead. And if I'm throwing second, then she has to be third. We're both a bit competitive when it comes to curling so uh yeah no i i didn't get into mixed curling very much but you know what um but a lot of my friends certainly did but you're right warren there there, there are lots of mixed curling leagues in, in the clubs in canada where it's two men and two women but you're right when it comes to if you go down to the, down to the u.s it's mixed curling but it doesn't matter It's not so strict as far as it's two and two. It could be three and one or whatever. It doesn't doesn't matter. So uh, you're right. I think it's more of a Canadian thing, but it's a good thing. I think mixed curling's uh, really fun and for couples to get out and and, uh, get out of the house and have some fun and and play some sport. And keep their uh, marriage together. Yeah, don't
1: uh, or don't play it. Yeah. Very, very important. My, very <laughs> my, important. My dad really. used to tell the old joke. He said he was married forty years. He said the secret to a long relationship was I would handle all the major decisions, and your mother would handle all the minor ones. And in forty years of marriage, we've only had minor decisions. <laughs> uh, very, very good voice. A um, couple of events going on uh, in uh, Calgary. Uh, the Autumn Gold. Uh, it's a big event for women, 44,000 bucks, man, in prize money. Uh, it can be considered a tier two event, but uh, there are some top tier teams there. Kevin, you're going to tell us about that. Also, uh, Warren, we're going to get your comments on another event, October 30th in Calgary at Canada Olympic Park. It is the first ever Pan
0: Continental Championship. Let's start with you, Kevin, and the autumn gold. Yeah, the autumn goals viewed as, I guess you could say that, but it's, it's really a tier one event. It's, it's, it's a big one and it's been going on now. I believe it started in 1978. So it's a uh, 44 years. Um, it's top caliber, 32 team Bonspiel uh, in Calgary at the Calgary Curling Club. And that's along the river, beautiful club. Um, it's called the Curler's Corner. So that's Bernice's store in the club. And it's just a terrific, well-run event. Uh, Jennifer Jones, Caitlin Law, Shy Digger, past champions in it. They've got an international field. I'm just going to read some of the teams. Madison Bear, really good young curler out of the U.S. is there. Chelsea Carey, of course. Unji Gim, South Korea, of course, just had a terrific event uh, at the... Uh, Hearing Life Tour Challenge last week, so they're looking forward to getting back after it. Clancy Grandy will be there, the Tier 2 uh, Ladies Champion from Grand Prairie. A, A really good team out of the U of A program. I that Gray Withers out of Edmonton will be there. Really strong. That's somebody to pay attention to going forward. A really good young player. Uh, of course, I said Jen Jones. a uh, Kelsey Rock coming down as well. So, Jim, it's a great field. Calgary, I guess, is kind of the curling mecca for the next uh, mm-hmm. week or so. So uh, there's lots going on in Calgary, and the Autumn Gold, a terrific
2: event, is one of What's them. the deal with the Pan Continental Cup, Warren? Okay, Jim, well, we talked a bit about this uh, in our last show. We have more details uh, on, on the whole thing now, so I'll go through exactly what's going to be happening there. And this is the first time, again, this event's ever been played. It's going to be at Winsport in about a week. On a women's side, it'll feature 13 teams divided into an A division of nine teams and a B division of four. On a men's side, the A division will be eight teams, and so will the B division also be eight teams. In the women's side, the top five teams will qualify for the Women's Worlds being played in March in Sweden In a men's side, again, the top five teams also qualify for the Men's Worlds, which is going to be played in Ottawa in the first part of April. Now, here's something I didn't know until now. Canada, as the host, will automatically be awarded one of the five spots in the World Championships. So, there's only four spots up for grab. Canada already has one. So, virtually what uh, Brad Gushu and Kerry Einerson are going to be playing for is the title of Pan-Continental Champion. Uh, When they go into Calgary, they already have a spot. Here's the teams in the women's A division, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Hong Kong, Japan, Kazakhstan, Korea, New Zealand, and the USA. The B division, Chinese Taipei, Kenya, Mexico, and Nigeria. In the men's side, the A division, Australia, Brazil, Canada, Chinese Taipei, Japan, Korea, New Zealand, and USA. Men's B division. Now listen to some of these countries. Guiana, Hong Kong, India, Kazakhstan, Kenya, Qatar, and Saudi Arabia. So that's the first time for a number of those countries that we've ever heard of playing at the world level. Curling hotbeds. Curling hotbeds. And before anyone starts sending me emails, Chinese Taipei is the official name of the entry for... What is Taiwan in the World Championship? But that is the name of the entry, so that's why we say Chinese Taipei.
1: Well, Warren, well, I guess because the event is in Canada, you want two Canadian teams, so it's a moot point now. You just made, uh, just said the two Canadian teams are into the World Championship
2: anyway? Yes, but this is going to be the right to become the winner of the first pan-continental championship, the title. It's becoming the North America-Asia Version of the European Championship, which will be played in December, and it of course qualifies seven teams. This event qualifies five, so the Europeans, like Nicodine takes great pride in becoming the European champion. And the idea here is eventually, uh, if it's Canada or the U.S. or whoever is going to win this, takes great pride in being the Pan Continental champion.
1: There you go. That's what's happening around the curling world. And uh, here's the next thing: Hot Rock Topics, brought to you by Coyote Tractor. If you have work to do, Coyote has the tractors, UTVs, and ZTRs to do it. We dig dirt. The last two weeks, we've been talking a bit about the dispute going on with American Curling USA uh, between the Grand National Curling Club and, the US, and USA Curling, as well as the situation with CEO Jeff Plush, who made it uh, into the national media about two weeks ago uh, in an ugly situation when a report was made public about USA soccer and sexual abuse that took place involving players, coaches, when plush was the league commissioner. The annual USA curling members forum took place last Friday. And uh, there were many things that came out of that. Warren, you listened to the whole thing five and a half hours. I don't know. How do you break down five and a half hours? Okay, we'll have to. Well,
2: uh, I, <laughs> I'm going to try to do it as best I can. And I think it's important that we do this because I, I really is. I wrote an article in our Facebook group okay. that has all the details. But I said it's USA curling at a crossroads. And I really believe it is. And it's something we all need to be concerned with with what is happening down there because it's not good. Uh, And as I indicated, five and a half, almost six hours, and it certainly wasn't the best moment for USA Curling without question. People were confused in that meeting, at times a little angry. It's simply like they seemingly were more confused as things considered. It was a video online meeting, but the only face you saw for probably 90% of it was that of Chair Lynn LaRocco, who obviously had the conclusion in her mind what she wanted this meeting to turn out as before it started was pretty obvious on more than one occasion. Uh, I'll start with a situation with uh, CEO Jeff Plush and the allegations over his handling of sexual abuse allegations when he was commissioner of a different sport, different organization, the National Women's Soccer League, which was about six years ago. Plush spoke at the meeting. He affirmed again that he did all the right things when he was the commissioner of the league and he was fully cooperating in every way he could. Yet, in the report put out by Sally Yates on behalf of USA Soccer, uh, she names him approximately 39 times, and he declined to speak to their investigators. So, kind of a puzzling uh, position. During his uh, talk, there was no explanation by either him or any board member uh, explaining exactly why they feel he's done nothing wrong and why they're sticking with him. Interesting, at the end of the meeting, uh, one of the members tried to put forward a motion for the removal of Plush, uh, and the motion was moved as out of order by the chair. It was quickly followed by another motion, asking the board to release all of the findings of its own internal investigation on the situation. The chair said she would take it under advisement. There were other people wanting to speak, but the meeting was very quickly ended and she adjourned it. And so that was that side of it. We did a little survey poll on our Factbook page and our Twitter page to kind of get the climate and the feeling of where all this thing was with people in the USA. We asked four questions. Should they go public with everything right now that they know? Should they name a third-party investigator to go through all this again? Should the board stay its course? Or should Plush be terminated uh, immediately? So, different response. The Facebook group, 28, said, go public with everything. 37% said plus should go, but the the two-in-the-middle, third-party investigation, board stay the course, were like 3 and one But Twitter, which is a little younger crowd, were a little more aggressive. They thought that plus should go immediately, 68%, and I think 27% uh, said everything should go public. And in the middle were, again, the investigation of a third party and the board should stay the course. So the curling population down there is uh, pretty riled up. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. So despite a lot of confusion and diversion regarding the number of votes available, they did finally have a vote that took place for the removal of the oldest and largest curling association, the Grand National Curling Club, that was started in 1867 and actually accounts for 25% of USA's curling membership. And the dispute that had been going on for quite some time was over the collection and charging of dues. Uh, The results were going to be obvious fairly quickly when the Athletes' advisory group that controls one-third of the votes at a AGM by U.S. law indicated that they were going to vote in favor of the removal of the Grand National. And from there, it pretty much became a formality as two or three large blocks of votes in the center part of the Northwest were also voting for removal. And it was obvious before it went too far down the line that what was going to happen. So they voted to remove the Grand National. The fallout on social media the last number of days has been large. And it consists just that curling in the USA is divided in a large way. And the group supporting the GNCC seems to be growing. And a number of clubs are indicating they will cease membership with USA Curling. So the situation's bad. And it seems no one is prepared to wave a white flag and attempt to find a solution. This whole issue regarding fees, Grand National, this is a dispute that probably goes back forever. But it's been embedded in Canada as well. And I've always looked at it as a dispute between the recreational club players and the high performance or competitive athletes. And certainly it was around in my day, and and Kevin can probably attest for that. I mean, we both curled in Northern Alberta. And, you know, competitive players were always sort of thought to be the, you know, all you guys ever do is take, you don't contribute anything back to the club, et cetera, et cetera. And we're two different groups of people. Uh, top competitive players aren't really tied to clubs, although if you watch the telecast of the Briar, you'd think they all did, but they don't. This has always existed, and there's been a need for so long to negotiate a manner how The curling club side of the business operates over in one segment and the high-performance athletes in another. This is the root, I believe, of what's now playing out in color in the United States. But it's also been playing out, I think, here in Canada for years. And the fact that the Briar is still played the way it is, uh, as supposedly a high-performance event, when it really isn't, is another example of how that fogged area just is not clear. And I think that's part of the problem that's happening down there. So, Kevin, interesting in your thoughts and comments on that.
0: Yeah, well, um, first of all, I guess the, the separation between uh, club and high performance um, in both U.S. and Canada, I think is, is something that needs to be done. It, it's very important. Um, as far as U.S. curling, though, I do spend a lot of time down south. And uh, uh, yeah, this is, this is a bad situation because curling is growing so fast in the U.S. And there's so many new clubs coming and the, the membership are so excited about the game. So the part that I guess bothers me about this whole thing is the damage to the growth because it's a very exciting down South, what's going on with the game itself. And uh, you know, I just hope that the, the groups get together much sooner than later and are able to, uh, to solve this um, because it's, it's getting worse and worse, not better and better. And, and with, the, with the sport that's growing and becoming so popular, it's just, you know, it's, it's not the right, right time for this Warren to be able to continue this amazing growth of our terrific sport. And that's what I worry about is, is the growth of, of the game because not every country in the world is growing at the rate of the U S curling. And, and it just hurts me to to see that. Yeah, me too. But, but I really think that, that it's important going forward in, in North America, that we do start to separate high performance and, uh, and recreational curling, kind of like golf. Like I love playing golf, but I'm not ever going to be any good at it. You know, when it comes to a club, I, lo- I love to be able to help the club, make sure the clubs are healthy, and spend money at the club, support the clubs. But as far as pro golf, I just don't see where I should be paying dues to pro golf. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't see that. I think there has to be a separation, which there is in golf, between the high performance and and the local slasher like me i I can see one side where i'm going i I don't want to pay any dues to anything
1: if i'm just a beer league curler and i paid my dough to the crestwood curling club Uh, i could see that side i could see that side
2: this was the sad part about that meeting. There was a lot of really frustrated people that wanted to express things that were on their mind, and, and, and it was almost a, a railroaded to conclusion, and, and people were cut off. They weren't able to express what's on their mind. And and for that meeting to air everything they needed to, it probably would have taken 12 hours, but but it was necessary. And the fact that it was handled in the manner in which it was, it's now just, it's festering. And uh, who knows what's going to happen here, But it's but it's not good. And it's really, it's sad, quite frankly.
1: I hear footsteps. Our two guests are uh, arriving shortly. Uh, But let's get to the mailbag segment. Brought to you by Nestle Boost, complete nutrition to fuel your day. Uh, Here it is. Many thanks uh, for your excellent podcast, to which I listen with great pleasure. And also uh, thank you to Sportsnet and Kevin for the excellent broadcast of the Grand Slams. Uh, Of course, this week you're up in Grand Prairie. I have the following question, which you may want to discuss during the podcast. When the opposite team is discussing their tactics and possible shots, for example, during a timeout, do the skip and vice skip pay attention and listen to what is being discussed? Or is this against curling etiquette? Good question. If yes, is this maybe an advantage for international teams as they understand English or some English, but Canadian teams generally do not understand Swedish, Swiss, German, Korean, etc., Thank you very much for looking and uh, looking forward to the next podcast. That's from Uli Arnie in Switzerland. Uh, I think I understand that, Kev. I mean, I watch watch TV and what's the answer there, Kevin?
0: Well, I, at the very highest level, um, I think the most of the players are at least three, four or five moves ahead, maybe even two or three ends ahead of where, where you are right now. So the discussion happening during a timeout, it's about one particular shot. But I would think both skips are quite a bit ahead of that mm-hmm. as far as the chessboard goes. So I'm not sure it matters much at the highest level. Now, if you go back to maybe junior or something like that, where you sort of react, you, you see the board and you go, okay, I'll react now. Mm-hmm. Not worry about what's down the road. You know what I mean? It's a little different way of looking at the game. There could be a factor then. But, you know, with uh, you're watching Matt Dunstone play uh, Nick Adeen in the final uh, just a couple days ago. It doesn't matter. They know the chessboard very, very well. Right. And what the other team is talking about, two or three choices maybe. Uh, for example, the sixth end when Oscar is tr- going to hit to the center line, which would give get them two points, rolls the other way. The possibility of three, Matt would have been looking back going, oh, he's probably going to hit to the middle, guarantee their deuce. But if it goes the other way… <sighs> I have a chance to get out of it, but my shot becomes more difficult. So that's kind of the thing you're looking at uh, at the other end. I don't think it matters what the other people are talking about though, because you already know the scenario. From where you're looking at it, you already know the two or three choices that you have. It's not like stealing signs in baseball. Oh, no, 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 nothing like that at all.
2: No, Warren? Well, I was in a different era and things were were different. I think the fact we played against a a lot of different teams because uh, not like now where all the top players are playing against each other most of the time. So we played a a huge variety of of teams and of different abilities. So there was lots of gamesmanship going on as far as little subtle things that were said or done. Um, And and some of the top players were better at it than others. Uh, Intimidation to a very large degree. I mean, I played with Hector Gervais, and just the size of him and and his gruffy uh, exterior was threatening. I'm sure it was two points on the board for half the teams you played. Um, And and he used that to his advantage. So there was lots of gamesmanship, but I think it's a little different now, as Kevin says, um, because they all know each other so well, and they they know what the other team's thinking and doing. And they know by laying out a, a word or two here isn't going to impact the other guys at all, so they don't do it.
1: Thanks, Julie, for the email. Uh, we invite you to send us all sorts of emails. we love to hear from you, and we're going to read them uh, during the show. Email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. in the house. They're standing outside the door, fellas. Brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, Mississauga, and two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. We got not just one guest, we've got Two guests, Kevin. You're getting better all the time. You know, it's like fresh off a victory in Grand Prairie for the Hearing Life Challenge. Uh, we are joined by the winning team, Nick Dean's team. Uh, but but Nick is not here, okay? We saw Nick go down with a painful knee injury. And uh, they might leave him off the team because he wasn't there and they won. <laughs> so, <laughs> Hey, fellas, come on in. It's Oscar Erickson and Rasmus Vranoa. Did I get that right, Rasmus? Perfect. Hello. Okay, there you are, Hello. boys. I, yeah, Good to have you. Did I hear you guys snap a couple of beers before we started this? I thought I heard <laughs> someone open. We just some.
3: Yes, some good now. old Canadian coffee. Oh, okay, there you <laughs> go. Morning. Yeah.
1: Where uh, where did we find you guys? Congratulations, first of all, on winning the Hearing Life Challenge. And uh, where are you now?
3: In Calgary. Yeah, yeah. so oh, we uh, took a flight to Calgary after the final and just staying here for a few days. Nicholas is uh, actually at the MRI right now, so we will uh, get the answers later today.
1: Okay. And uh, any idea of what you think it was, uh, what happened to him? Because it sure looked like he was in a lot of pain when they were trying to look at it.
4: Yeah, I, I've heard a little bit about it. Um, and it's um, probably either the meniscus that's really bad. Or it is a muscle behind the knee, like almost from the calf, that's like jumped a little bit into the wrong position.
3: So dislocated.
4: Yeah, almost kind of dislocated. Uh, So until that uh, jumps back or is uh, fixed or whatever, then uh, he's uh, not going to be able to play probably.
1: That's very, very good, Doctor Noah. That's really good the way you broke that. <laughs> Just trying to recite what he told me. <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. So tell us, uh, of course, when you're handed that, your your heart must have dropped, of course. And uh, how did you guys strategize about it going in? Was did you have choices what you were going to do, or uh, or how did you come to the setup that you were going to have to to pull it off the victory?
3: I think we have pulled straws. Whoever. Got the shortest one, had to play skip. (laughs) 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 No, we were just joking a little bit about it before the game. So who want to play lead? Who want to play second? Who should skip? You want to play last rocks. Then when we realized he can't play, like, okay, try to have fun. It's going to be a tough game. Gushu, one of the hottest teams on the planet right now. So managed to get the hammer. Just said to each other, try to get a few blanks, keep the hammer. But the way they play, you don't get many chances to get a blank end. So...
1: Well, good for you guys. Uh, Yeah, exceptional. Um, What's your schedule like then? I know there's an event in Calgary, of course, and then full year. Curling just got underway here a few weeks ago. Tell us about your team and what lies ahead for the next few months.
4: Um, Well, uh, we're actually going to uh, Swift Current um, this Thursday. And then after that, we're going to play the Penticton event as well. Very nice event. And then we go home. And we rest for about one week, and uh, then we play Europeans. That is in, uh, in Sweden, actually, in uh, Östersund. Mm-hmm. So that will be nice on home field.
0: Yeah, not a very light schedule. Kevin, uh, over to you. Well, thanks a lot for taking the time, you guys. And hopefully Nick gets some good news today, definitely. In the last while, three-person teams have done very well. In, in many different things. I'd like to hear your thoughts on, I suppose, why is that possible? It would have been unheard of years ago. But now, um, there's been quite a bit of success by three-person teams. What do you think that is, you guys?
3: I think you just to get together as a group even more. Like, you realize the situation, you're almost more pressure on you than what you're used to. Stepping into that role, the three of us, we don't want to embarrass ourselves, So (laughs) we gotta make sure we play some decent shots. As you know, like the the top players nowadays are, everyone's so good. Like back in the days you could say like, okay, you get the worst player as lead and the one shooting high percentage always being the skip. But nowadays everyone's so good. And both me and Rasmus are used to playing mixed doubles. You see the Italians that played three all all, uh, week, all of them play mixed doubles. Brad and Brett, when they won the the Breyer and Jeff, they all play mixed doubles. So you're used to be less people in the team, more now than if you go back before the mixed double days. Yeah,
0: Yeah, so mixed up by saying mixed doubles, um, the sweeping, because it used to be that a lot of sweepers would be on one side all the time, and if you're only three-handed, you had a really less chance of making shots on one turn or the other. But Rasmus, you're able to... You swept a lot. You and Christopher both swept a ton during those games, but you're able to move around behind the stone depending on what needed on that beautiful hit and roll. I think Oscar, I believe, was trying to roll a little bit to the middle, mm-hmm. but it ended up curling a bit. So you jumped to the other side to get that late finish. Well, I don't know. What are your thoughts on sweepers being behind the rock, sort of on the thrower's side of the rock, so that you can get the angle proper? to be able to manipulate the stone.
4: It's almost a must, I think, uh, if you're gonna be able to switch back and forward fairly fast uh, between uh, holding it straight and uh, trying to carve it. If you're standing too much on the side, it's gonna take a few seconds before you get to the other side and can start sweeping there. So I feel for myself that I, I sweep better when I stand a little bit behind the rock as well. So it works both ways for me there, actually.
0: In the sixth end, uh, Oscar, you didn't throw the last rock for the big uh, three-ender. Who goofed up? Was it Christopher or was it was it you, Rasmus? Who uh, who messed it up and, and threw it out of order?
4: I think it was a little bit both, um, because Christopher <laughs> made his two ticks, and then it was like, okay, nice job, good, good, good uh, like uh, good end from you. Like it usually, I, I think yeah, he right. make two ticks, then his job is done, made a nice job. Uh so, I think we just both uh totally forgot about it uh and then when I played my had played my first one, I came down and realized there were still five rocks left <laughs> or six rock rocks left maybe that's when I realized that uh we had not done this the right way.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty funny Warren, go ahead let's just stay on a topic for a minute, guys. so Kevin and I have often talked about going forward about five person teams, and of course, today the costs involve prohibit it. But do you guys see that being a reality as we get more money into the game and things progress forward that a team will be five people so you can rest certain players, you can make substitutes sort of at will? What's your thoughts on that one?
3: I think we could see it. I don't think we're going to see it in the near future though because the money isn't really there yet to have five people traveling the world. I think you can do that for, for the big events where you really need to have an alternate, like World Championships, Olympics, uh, those kind of events. But for the tour, at least for us, it would be very tough to get uh, a fifth guy with us all the time. That would be too expensive.
2: So like when you go into World Championships and Olympics, and it's a long grind, particularly the worlds, do you ever consider having a fifth player rotating regularly to give people rest, or has that ever been thought about?
3: Not really, because like all the communication you have within the team, that would take a lot of extra practice to get that fifth guy into that especially if it's not with you all year round but if you have an all like a dedicated alternate just being with you all the time then i think it would be an alternate like to have that guy play a few games here and there just to to rotate and save some energy for the big games and uh, i think that could work i think it's easier early in your career like in juniors but Whenever you're getting closer to the top and you have to play at your best, you have to play 90 plus percentage every game to, to win games here at the slams and at the playoffs in Worlds or Olympics or at a Briar or European Championship. It's tough to rotate and uh, lose that a little bit of uh, communication and the original lineup, like, yeah, the chemistry. Yeah,
2: good points. So you two guys are probably two of the most decorated uh, curlers in the world today. Um, Certainly, Oscar, you've got four Olympic medals, and I think you're the only curler who has four Olympic medals. Kevin tried. He's got two. Not too late. Two of the colors (laughs) you have, but (laughs) not too late. It is too late. (laughs) (laughs) So looking back historically, you guys played against each other, I think, as juniors. The four of you are all skips, I believe, originally. When you put this team together, how did you determine who was going to be skip, third, second, and lead?
3: Me and Christopher started playing with Niklas. Christopher was already lead in uh, our old lineup. So that was quite obvious. He was going to stick at lead and then it was Christian Lindstrom. He was playing third and I was skipping. And when we took in Niklas to the team or he took us, uh, I was playing third for many years with Christian as well. Like we just changed that the last two years in that lineup. We said to each other like whatever's best for the team and we thought nicholas would be a great skip and playing last rocks and i was very used to playing third rocks two years later when we took in rasmus it's, the natural thing was he has took christian's spot playing second even though he came from being a skip
2: so that was quite a process so you guys are traveling a lot you're on a road right now you're between the events what do you do between the events to train and to keep yourself sharp? Rasmus, what's uh, what's your answer to that one? What are you guys doing for the next couple of days before this next event? Do you throw rocks? Do you work out? What do you do?
4: Sleep. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, no, but a, a little bit of everything, um, I would say. We obviously try to get some good rest between the events, so we get charged up again, but it's also nice to go out and do something fun uh, when you have some days off and also it could be good to go and throw some rocks as well. We don't feel pressured to go and throw rocks now in between because we've been away competing for so long now so it's probably not gonna help super much uh, except for being in the slide a little bit but uh, it's more if someone would feel on competition that they have had some trouble with some kind of shock, maybe. Maybe we would go and uh, try to fix that more. But now when it feels quite good, we focus more on resting up and uh, feeling good, basically. Oscar and
1: Rasmus, we had uh, Brad Gushu on uh, last week. And one of the things about peak performers uh, like yourself uh, as one of the best teams in the world is the players have always consistently said there needs to be a place at the table with WCF or or at these places where they're making decisions about the future of the game. And Brad uh, came up with a very interesting comment that he thought the funding for uh, his team or or high-performance teams should be maybe given to lesser teams to develop our curlers in the future because he seems to think we'll be in trouble getting, getting young curlers interested in the game and getting them to play well. Are there changes in the games that you guys think need to happen What do you like about it? How do you see the future of the game from your personal point of view as a team and just in general about curling?
3: It's a good question. We, for sure, we want to make young people start playing curling. And when we're getting old, other Swedish teams are winning medals. Yeah, it's a a tough question. I don't really have a a great answer for it right now. Do you have a good answer?
4: Are you asking about trying to get more people into the sport? Or more about, yeah, about getting more people into the sport? I think it really important thing for for young people at least. Now in Sweden we have a lot less curlers but a common problem there is that there are only maybe one or two young players in one club and they don't really have a team mm-hmm. and it's hard to find a team to go out and compete with. Um, it uh, does get boring if all you do is go to practice uh, and you never get to compete. Uh, I don't know if you have that problem here in Canada because you have probably a lot more curlers but I would think that at least in our case, some kind of forum online where you can sign up. One, two players say, you want to play a tournament there? Is there anybody else who want to play? So they start competing together and uh, also getting to know even more people when they're competing, especially on a junior level. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that is uh, why many people often maybe start to try, play curling, and then they don't really have a team, they can't really compete, and nothing really happens.
0: Yeah, guys, that is, that is a thing of the past uh, around here. And, and, and I think even, even now, because a lot of curling is played in the rural areas, in the small towns In, in where I came from, uh, there was myself and another guy who curled, only the two of us. So then we had to go about a half hour away, 30 minutes away, to find two others, but that was pretty much the only four so we were as good as we were going to get and then to to try to get really good then i had to go to to college away and and uh, and not live it, uh, at home anymore in order to get a chance to be good at curling so it's kind of the same thing i guess in canada obviously in cities like calgary where you are now and and edmonton where i am we've got lots of curlers so there's no no issue with finding teams but in the small communities where curling sort of started and is still very strong uh it is it is an uh, interesting thing i wanted to bring up one thing you guys i think this is probably the most important thing today Uh, There was a bond spiel, I understand. Was it the two of you guys, one lefty, one righty, where you played the whole bond spiel by switching shoes? And actually, Oscar, you threw right-handed and Rasmus threw left-handed for the whole bond spiel, I think, and you still did very well. And that's not, I don't know if anybody else could do that. Is that correct, the two of you, or was Christopher involved? Oscar.
3: It was uh, me and Christopher and uh, Christian Lindstrom and his twin brother. We did that, but that's a couple of years ago now.
0: I heard you played really well shooting with the ro- sliding. I I was just trying to do it on the kitchen floor this morning before we came on here. And <laughs> I don't think I don't think I could do that. Where I push out of the hack with my left foot, slide with my right, and throw with my left hand. I, it would be it would be a disaster. How, how did you manage that?
3: Uh some practice and when you're young, like uh, just try to do funny things at practice. So sometimes we just did it with the wrong hand and like tried to see how hard would it be to 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 make shots with the the wrong hand. And uh, we found it like the draw weight wasn't too hard. If it's straight dice, you don't have to do much with the with the release. So as long as it's not curling like at the Grand Slams or at the Championship, (laughs) we, we found it like manageable. But if you would play like good teams on good ice, we would get destroyed. Obviously, everyone would be with the wrong hand. So we did that for like a fun tournament in Norway a couple of years ago. We just had a deck of cards. We took one, two, three, four <laughs> from red and one, two, three, four from black cards. And whatever uh, number you got, you played that position. And if you drew a red card, you were playing with the wrong hand. If you drew a black card, you <laughs> played with the correct hand.
0: Mike Harris told me about that, Oscar. He was the one telling him he must have been there with you guys or something. But uh, a crazy story. Anyway, Jimmy, go ahead. God, I'd be embarrassed if you guys played with the wrong hand and you beat me. <laughs>
1: <that>? <laughs> Tell me, you guys, what what do you do? Um, first of all, you're you're such a great team. It's I would invite people to click on Nicholas's Wikipedia page, and then when you see his results, and uh, both of you are such a huge part of that. It's it's multiple world championships and gold medals and it's just through the roof how good you guys are can you give us an idea of maybe what's what separates you what you guys do different uh or or how you guys developed into a good team when when maybe you saw that you were going to be good and maybe sat down and said okay how are we going to maintain this over our career and get to where you are now
3: first of all it's like a lot of sacrifices being away like this is our we're starting our fifth week on the tour now in canada first of all yes know everyone in the team what can you expect when you spend so much time with three other guys like you have to accept the other guys is how they are like flaws and uh, strengths and yeah i think that's the most important thing like you need to really know each other and accept how people are on and off the ice especially off the ice because that's the most of the time sacrifices from back home like family and friends, you can't see them as much. And I think that's the winning recipe for us, yes, to be able to spend so much time together and feel, feel good about
2: it. So we're at the start of a quadrennial. So a number of new teams or new formations are out there. Few of them are doing quite well. Schwaller, Carruthers, Dunstan, who uh, seem to be on the move. Who are the teams that you guys look to right now as saying... Yeah, those are four guys we don't particularly want to play. Who, who Who is your toughest opposition right now?
4: Probably I would say Gushu. They seem like a really solid team and uh, have everything together. They they made only a change of one player as well. So they still um, don't have to figure out super much as a team. So right now, uh, probably Gushu. Uh, they've always been a tough opponent and they will keep being a really tough opponent for as long as they play, I think.
2: How about on the European side? Who do you look at the toughest opposition over there today?
3: I think it's still going to be Moat. You can see it this week. They started to get fired up and uh, playing better. With the first slam, Bobby, with the injured hand, couldn't sweep. That's a big uh, loss for them. So they're going to come back even stronger and try to defend their European title in a few weeks' time. So that's going to be the toughest, I think, in Europe. And then the Italians, of course, like winning bronze medal at the World Championship last year. You got Amos winning the Olympics in mixed doubles, and they have their Olympic, Olympics on uh, home field uh, in three and a half years' time, so they want to be uh, contenders for that one. So those, those two teams, and then Schwaller, of course, you can't forget those guys. they were winning, mm-hmm. won like three events already uh, on tour. So four great players, strong sweepers, yeah if they can figure it out how to start winning those big events as well, it's going to be a, a tough team to, to beat on the biggest stage as well. So we'll try not to uh, lose against them uh, when we have, <laughs> when we have them in the, in the playoffs, but yeah, they're a good, good team.
1: Uh, boys, before we let you go, um, you had, you had alluded to it Oscar about, you know, how's, how does this team play so well? How do they do it through so many months and years and maintain such a high level, um, a lot of the guys we talk to say well we, we got to take a break away from each other off the ice but as we do these uh this interview with you guys this morning you're both in the same place looks like you're both in the same hotel room in the same house what's going on there how do you, do you guys rent houses or is it separate hotel rooms or do you never get sick of each other
4: <laughs> we we do a little bit of both um We never really live separately from each other when we're on tour, at least. Uh, When we're home, we obviously live separately from each other. Yeah, right now we have an Airbnb, a nice house that uh, we can just relax at uh, for a couple of days. And uh, then we mix a little bit uh, between hotels and uh, Airbnbs. I guess we just try to handle it as good as we can. uh, And we know when we go that we're going to be together with each other for a long time. And... Who's doing the
3: cooking? Rasmus is the, yeah. the chef. Right now, I'm the chef. <laughs> he's the chef. I'm doing the dishes. Fair enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and Nicholas was faking a bad knee, so he didn't have to do anything. That's what I. Yeah, I can't. He's got to stay
3: no. exactly. <laughs> and Christopher is making. Yeah, he's doing the coffee, trying to buy some Swedish is, coffee. Is here, Nick really not...
1: as good at pool as everyone says he is? He's very good at pool. He's,
3: he's yeah. beating us for sure. Uh, <laughs> okay, yeah, so he's good. He's uh, he's uh, playing a lot of pools. Pool back home, so. A couple of times. A oh,
1: yes. Okay. Well, thanks a lot, fellas, for joining us uh, this morning. We really appreciate you getting up and do this. We know you're busy, and we know you need lots of rest. And uh, it was super nice of you to come on and do this. Congratulations you. on your latest victory, and uh, and good luck going forward. And good luck to Nick today yeah. with the results of the MRI. Uh,
3: thank you. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes thank very much so. Thank
4: you thanks, for guys. taking us in. See you, boys.
0: Hey, thank you. Good guys. one.
4: Thank you.
1: so there we go boys uh i kind of like those guys kevin uh and and nick of course but uh rasmus and oscar uh they look like maybe they could bust loose a little bit kev away from the game (laughs) they were i think i think i think you're accurate there
2: (laughs) yeah uh they're they're swedes they like to have grin. yeah exactly it's just
1: a little bit of a grin on them there when, when those guest spots we do uh, we get videos, so we can, uh, we can see them. You know, I wonder, Kevin, you brought up, they, they were talking about the five-man team, and uh, Oscar was, was, you know, on point when he said, uh, we can't afford it to bring a fifth guy, and they are Nicodine's team. So I don't know what they're getting in sponsorship, and then they end up playing three. I, I, is this a stupid question, Kevin, that, that one day some they'll be l- looking at saying, okay, let's not bring a fourth guy. You know, (laughs) it's going to save a bunch of money.
0: Well, you know, isn't it funny that the three person teams lately are doing so well, you know, uh, right. Yeah. Retornas ranked number one after the round robin and uh, they went for three players the whole time. Of course, Brad and company winning the briar. So I don't know. I don't, I don't know where it's going to go, but three players doesn't hurt you these days. I think we can honestly say that. Right. Thanks to mixed doubles. Yes. Likely thanks to mixed doubles. You're right, Warren. Yeah. I was going to say three-man
1: curling and mixed doubles. Wait, I'm losing the math. <laughs> uh, great show, boys. Uh, well done. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Inside Curling, of course, and we do it each and every week, and we'll be back uh, next week and for a good many months now with uh, the curling season well underway. Also, we want to thank uh, Rod Paulson and his company, In-House Strategies. Uh, Rod's sitting in, as a matter of fact, today and listening. Hey, Rod. You must be patient. To sit through the whole show, Rod. His company again, in-house strategies, and Rod looks after all our Facebook and our Facebook page. Also manages all the emails we get. If you don't belong to the Facebook group, sign up now. We'd love to hear from you and you can weigh in on a bunch of stuff. Send your email to insidecurling at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks again, Sports Interaction, Coyote Boost, and Goldline for making inside curling possible. Okay, fellas, as you were, Kevin. I'm off to Canadian Tire. Do you want me to pick up a shovel? Uh, It's freaking snowing here. What a drag. No, I'm not going to ask you, Warren, about the weather. We'll see see you, Warren. We'll see you, Kevin.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Jimmy. Thanks, Jim.